Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, we're about uh, how many days? Uh, 16 days before uh, the centennial anniversary celebration at James A. Garfield in Seattle. It would have occurred in 2020, but the COVID pandemic uh, made that impossible that year and then 2021. Uh, but we have been working diligently and we have with us uh, as my first guest is Lan Jaffe, Garfield High School class of 58, who is chairing uh, the Centennial Committee. And uh, she has been a very hard worker. It should be a very successful event. Uh, matter of fact, we will be joined by John Yasutaki, uh, Barney Hilliard, class of 56, John's class of 66. And also Elmer Dixon was in between airports. Uh, he, as a, a Garfield student, was one of the co-founders of the Seattle Black Panther Party. I think that's an achievement when you look at the civil rights history of Seattle. So let's start with Lynn Jaffe, uh, who has been chairing this and has seen everything, and she can give us a good idea of what's going on and what might be happening soon. So Lynn, go right ahead. Well, Garfield, but this is our fourth date that we've had, and this is it. As Eddie said, it's, um, what did you say, 16 days away. Saturday the 27th. There's going to be just great music throughout the area. It's, it's on the field at the school, in the gym, in the Quincy Jones Performance Center. Uh, outside, down below, would be uh, food trucks. And also in the commons or on the first floor of the, of the school. Um, so many different things, uh, many reunions. Music in all different places. We'll have Barney talk about that. And just unbelievable. Lots of people are coming. And, you know, Garfield has a, uh, a new principal, uh, Dr. Hart. Uh, we're going to invite him on for next week. Uh, but can you just share with our listeners, like some of the people who have been working on the committee with you? I mean, don't worry about leaving anybody out because we'll get them next week. <laughs> Well, um, we do have our event producer, that's Dick Lee. And then there's um, Julie Meacham from the class of 60, Maureen Hirschbaum from the class of 64, Susan Prince from the class of 64. Let's see, who else am I? Barney, of course, who's, who's here with us now. Uh, Carver Gate in class of 56, Barney's from 56. That might be it. Yeah, we will have to get some 90s and 2000s and 2020 20 yeah. people on board. Oh, I so, forgot uh, one person. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, John Yasutaki has joined us. And uh, John uh, and his twin brother, Mike, was a class of 66 in Garfield. And uh, uh, so, John Yasutaki, what, what were things like in Garfield? Uh, uh, during your duration there. And why don't you let our listeners know what activities you and Brother Michael engaged in. Well, well, thank you, Eddie, and thank you, Lynn. <laughs> this is going to be one of the biggest events in the city of Seattle upcoming. Uh, I've been telling everybody that all across the nation, I get contact from people who are, you know, Atlanta, uh, you know, and New York, uh, Philadelphia, et cetera. But yeah, Class of 66, we... We're on the cusp of what was a big, I guess you could say, historically, a transition in this country. Uh, integration, uh, busing, etc. We were one of the last, I guess you could say, full classes that wasn't totally impacted with busing, uh, mandatory busing, uh, as mandated by the Supreme Court and the state of uh, Washington's uh, courts. But we had a very large African-American population, uh, uh, predominantly African-American. I think it was at 70, I think 68 to 70% uh, uh, white or Caucasian students. And there was uh, also a large number of Asians. So Garfield represented probably one of the more diverse populations, even though it was significantly African-American because of the location in the central area. And so, you know, the activities we were involved in were, you know, we're right on the cusp of also the civil rights movement, 
which was really picking up steam. We were listening to people like Stokely Carmichael, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. We were listening to uh, H. Rap, you know, Huey Newton, etc. But also that other aspect of what was happening uh, Vietnam War. So we were right on the edge. Our class, uh, I can name several individuals I was classmates with who lost their lives fighting in Vietnam. So it was a real big transition period. Um, and I guess the best way to describe it is it was uh, the times were changing. And uh, I, I played football. And I, I, gave a, I gave a try at, at uh, track. Mike played football. I, I thought I'd go out and venture out to play, you know, be on the track team. But when uh, he had all the shot putters, which, I, which was what I was going to be, running with all the middle distance runners across all the way down to the Lake Washington across the floating bridge halfway and come back to Garfield. And I said, well, no, I think I'll just be tired. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. Bob Gary, and, but let me tell you, Garfield was always up there with respect to track, football, baseball, basketball, et cetera. But man, let me tell you, um, if you could survive Dr. Gary, <laughs> you could survive anything, but no, he was great. Uh, and, and, but that was the other thing. There was no issue with respect to the interaction between the students of color and students that were white. I mean, it's almost like, as my good friend, Bill North, a pro baseball player, Spud would say, that's his nickname, Spud. When you go to Garfield in those days, it was almost unreal. It was not like the real world. And I said, well, you know, I, and then he explained, when he was playing major league baseball, he was segregated from his white teammates when they played in different parts of the country. And this was in the middle to late 60s. And you said to yourself, wow, you know, it is true. Garfield was a different time in a different place. We all got along, literally, just like that saying. We all got along. We all supported you. Know, we all looked at each other as, hey, we're all bulldogs. You know, bulldogs for life, you know? And that's the point. Uh, I'm friends with all my classmates of the classes uh, actually 65, 64, and 66. So like I said, it's almost an unreal setting, but but a beautiful one because my lifelong friends, most of your friends you will make, not in college, but in high school, you know, and that's how it's been. So I appreciate the uh, invite, uh, Eddie, because we're going to be out there in force. There we, we tend to get together at least once or twice a year, class of 66. So thank you. John, how many how many of your children uh, attended Garfield? Well, I had Carter, I had uh, Felisa, and those two went and George. So I had three of the six, and uh, so um, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, they uh, went there. And um, I, I, like I said, the other the other three that didn't go there, uh, Holy Names and Nathan Hale. The other uh, my two sons went to Nathan Hale, and uh, my daughter went to Holy Names. They're all bulldogs at heart. Yeah. So I guess you could it's say like Angela Rye was uh, a Holy Names graduate as well. So right, she was that. Bull, but she knew she knew all the bulldog yep. chants from yep. the time that she and her cousin Leanne Rye Brock, right, were five or six years old. Yeah, and but I anyway, was, uh, John, yeah. we've been also joined by Mr. Barney Hilliard, yes. class of '56, and uh, he has been putting together. Maybe Mike can play play horn with these guys. But anyway, Marty, why don't you let people know what you've been doing on the committee and what they can look forward to in 16 days. The, the most important thing for us uh, going into uh, preparations for the uh, centennial was to that we had some current uh, Garfield student musicians uh, involved. And that's our focus from day one. And uh, as a result of that, we have a uh, um, the Garfield uh, uh, Jazz Band is going to be performing in the uh, Quincy Jones Performing uh, Arts Center uh, Auditorium, and um, a, uh, we're very pleased about that. We also have uh, uh, Garfield students uh, performing in a gym with some background music before the formal program, and we also have a uh, student musician performing outside near the flagpole area. They also have the, the drum line that will be marching through uh, outside the gym prior to the uniform program. And we also have uh, some Garfield, uh, Garfield graduates who will be performing um, 
uh, in all of those venues. Uh, in the Quincy Jones Auditorium will be the Dave Holden and his uh, class of 56, also his uh, family of musicians that will be performing uh, uh, on the afternoon of the uh, the event. We also have a uh, uh, 1969 uh, Garfield Grad, Maya Santo, who will be uh, forming in the Commons area. We also have Garfield Grad, uh, Miss Lily, uh, who is a gospel singer from uh, 1956 and most of her life. Uh, she performed with the Edwin Hawkins uh, singers, traveled all around the world, and and uh, they made famous of the song Oh Day. We also have uh, uh, Butch Harrison, a uh, local musician, uh, playing with a, an unnamed, uh, for now anyway, uh, Garfield graduate uh, in 1981, who will be playing the sousaphone. He's coming in from New York to join us. And uh, we also have um, the uh, a young man that's just been engaged. Uh, be, uh, will be performing outside uh, on the big uh, field in number three. And uh, we're very happy uh, to have identified them. Uh, they were referred by another jazz musician, uh, Gary Hammond. And uh, he told me about them. Uh, we're very happy to, to, to see them. So uh, we, uh, we have all the music on the afternoon between 30 and, and 5 o'clock and all those different nations. And if you've ever, if you've ever been to a, a wedding in the past, this is going to bring five weddings in location on the same day. It's just fun enjoyment putting together fun uh and talk with and and uh we're all more and more excited uh as the day comes close. Okay, Barney, I wanna circle back to the chair, uh Lynn Jaffe, uh to include anything else that needs to be made public. Uh you had mentioned food trucks are gonna be out front. There's gonna be six uh, there's also gonna be a formal program that is, I guess, going to be, uh, and Pussy Jones won't be here, everybody, but there will be a video of Pussy Jones. It's been promised. He's but, not uh, coming mainly because it's, he's traveling is not good for him right now because of COVID, and, and he's 89 years old. Yeah, that's true. That's enough yeah. right there. But the fact is he will uh, do a video, and we also, I think we have the mayor confirmed to be the MC for the program. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you talk about that? Four minutes. Well, like everybody knows, let's see, he's from the class of class. Bruce Harrell is from the class of, I can't remember now. Anyway. In the mid 70s. In yeah. the mid 70s. Yeah. So there will be other speakers, also different grads, um, different people who are. A couple of people, other people from the city are working for the city. Uh, it's a very good, interesting group that's going to be speaking. A couple of the uh, food trucks are owned by Garfield grads, um, like in the 90s. That's, you know, the, there's many reunions, which will be in the auxiliary gym, in the commons, and under two tents out on the field. So uh, there's many things that are going to be happening, and and an awful lot of people are going to be coming because it's Garfield, and Garfield is celebrating 102 years now. Yeah, well, Lynn, we've been joined by a uh, 1968 graduate uh, person uh, as a Garfield High School student was a co-founder of the Seattle uh, chapter, uh, uh, Seattle chapter of Black Panther Party, and Elmer Dixon has stepped out of the Slave Museum to be on Urban Forum Northwest. So Elmer, go right ahead and uh, get off mute and share the story with us about why you were Garfield. <laughs> Am I supposed to be talking about the uh, the great class of 1968? Yes, indeed. This is a centennial uh, uh, celebration that's gonna be in 16 days. And Lynn Jaffe, the chair of that committee is on, executive committee members, Barney Hilliard is on, and also John Yasutaki from the class of 66. Okay. And Eddie is a, Eddie's on the committee also. Class of 59. Go ahead, sir. Well, you know, um, those all of those years uh, in the uh, 60s were critical years. Um, 
you know, uh, Eddie's class, uh, John's class. John was, uh, I think, the class of uh, 67. Uh, I was 68. And um, the, the interesting thing that happened in 67 that had a huge impact on uh, the Seattle Black community was Stokely Carmichael coming to Garfield. Um, that was the single event, I think, that uh, really inspired um, many young would-be activists and revolutionaries. Uh, in fact, I became the co-chair of SNCC as I entered my senior year, going into that 67, 68 class. And we, um, my buddies and I, told them we wanted to start a, a BSU, a Black Student Union. We would eventually become the first Black Student Union on the West Coast of the United States, the first high school Black Student Union on the West Coast of the United States. And we had to go through uh, several rounds of, uh, of uh, kind of uh, civil disobedience, not playing during uh, I was a, a national anthem uh, and I sat down and I got kicked out of school. Uh, Poochie told me I had to play it if I was going to be in the band. So I sat down and played it. This is long before Callan. Colin Kaepernick, uh, we ended up where um, we had to call a school boycott and the administration got wind that we were going to do this. And they thought, well, we'll just end up kicking a handful of uh, black students out. But what he didn't realize is all of the white students, black students, brown students, Asian students, we had a large Asian uh, class, uh, members in our class. And um, we all grew up together. We all went to uh, Meany or Washington and uh, elementary school, so nobody went to class. Even John Bridge said he didn't go to class, and he was a 4.0 uh, student. Uh, he makes it a point for me to remind people that he didn't go either. Uh, and so we ended up getting the first high school black student union on the West Coast. So it was a very powerful time. That's a significant history. Uh, I can barely hear you, Eddie. Garfield. That, that's very that's very significant. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very significant. Uh, uh, thing about uh, uh, that time uh, in our class, um, uh, we were right in the thick of the um, the movement, and um, as it would be uh, in the spring of '68, uh, um, Franklin High School, the sister high school, uh, needed help um, because uh, a sister got kicked out of school because she had an afro. Um, some brothers were being kicked out of school for fighting white kids and. The white kids went back to class. The black kids got to stay. So they asked us for help. And me and a few of my buddies, Anthony Ware, and a few of us went over there. And they also asked uh, my brother Aaron and Larry Gossett and Carl Miller to come down from the UWBSU. And so we met at the Beanery. Uh, and uh, we said, OK, let's do it. And we walked across the street and kicked the principal out and the vice principal out and took over the high school. And the next day, they called and said, uh, you can have your programs. And so. We went back to class a week later. Uh, I was in my geometry class with Mr. Bob Naramore. Some of you may remember he was one of two twins. And uh, they told me that he told me that when the phone rang that they wanted me in the office. And I stepped out of the office and there were two detectives that uh, handcuffed me and took me to juvie. Uh, and at that very time, uh, Larry and Aaron and Carl and a couple of other my uh, classmates uh, were being uh, arrested. and. Uh, we were sent to juvie, the ones that of us that were 17, the rest went to jail. But within minutes after we got, in fact, when I got into juvie and people were crowded around the TV, um, uh, MLK had been assassinated. And it was almost as if, as if they were getting us off the streets, uh, knowing that this, is, this was happening around the country. And it was at that very moment that we were locked up uh, when MLK was uh, this was the country was exploding around that. It was a very fiery time uh, in that 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 year. Um, um, and being in the in the band, the marching band, uh, I, we played for Bobby Kennedy when he came uh, to, for his campaign rally at Seattle University. Um, I was within ten feet of uh, of him. I remember him very vividly. And then, of course, uh, later that month, he's assassinated. Uh, but two days after. Um, uh, MLK was assassinated. The first member to join the Black Panther Party, little Bobby Hutton, was assassinated. And it just so happened that after we got out of juvie and out of jail, we traveled to uh, San Francisco State to attend the West Coast Conference of Black Student Unions, where we uh, met Bobby Seale, uh, and we became the first chapter of the Black Panther Party formed outside of the state of California. 
Um, so yeah, very, very interesting times. Very, that. very good history, man. Very yeah. good history. Wow. Uh, I, I want to see if uh, Lynn or uh, or John have anything to say about uh, how close we are to the event. Uh, who are some of the people, other folks who are involved? Uh, and then we'll have uh, have John Yasutake, and then we'll go back to Barney to, get, uh, to see if he has any further update. Because I didn't hear, I think Butch Harrison's on, on the agenda as well, right, Barney? Okay, he said yes, he is. Okay, Lynn, go right ahead. <laughs> well. That's some Garfield history right there now. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm from the class of 58. And Barney is two years ahead in the class of 56. And the 50s were a lot different than the 60s, um, a, an awful lot different. We were rather naive and just didn't understand a whole lot of stuff that was going on. But, but we got through, and, and here we are 60-some years later, getting oh, um Last fall, I was invited to speak and to talk about the event at the class of 51's 70th class reunion. And they had 45 people there. And I thought that was pretty good for all those old folks. Um, and it, it's amazing how Garfield people really have stuck together and we're all, you know, just really happy to be together. So it's going to be one fantastic event i will say uh what are what are the hours of the event barney mentioned, nine, 9 30 mentioned, to five o'clock okay so 9 30 to five o'clock and, and barney the food had, trucks will be all set up and ready to go by 11 o'clock if not before um and as i said there's there's six food trucks two of them that i know for sure are owned by garfield alums and a really good group different food it's, it's going to be wonderful so we also will have a jones's barbecue right yes well and we can't we got to have ezels is right across the street so i know we got to have ezels <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay now, now uh, barney hilliard uh there is a story uh and you have to come off mute too but there's a story uh about this group you were with a band in Garfield. And some people said you guys were playing in adult clubs while seniors in high school. Can you share that story with our listeners? Okay, well, um, when uh, when Dave Lewis and I, uh, the first day in each church uh, back in the 50s, we were at, um, at um, Phoenix Junior High School. And we started playing music together at me in 1953 for one of the, uh, uh, assemblies there. And when we got to Garfield in uh, fall of 1953, uh, we added to the band uh, George Grin, Jimmy Allen, John Gray, and the, the five of us became the original Dave Luth Combo. What was unique about that time in the 1950s is that rhythm and blues music was banned on the mainstream media of radio and TV it's called race music. So you couldn't see blue music television or hear it on video. So we would go and buy the So on summer, we would buy the What were you saying? You okay, have to move on, Barney. You're going in and out. And we're just about out of oh, time. Okay. So, but, but, okay. Uh, well, you going to come back uh, the week before the event so we can update. <laughs> who we got confirmed to participate uh, on the music side of the program. So what I want to yes. what I want to do now is uh, I want to thank Lynn for being here. Uh, next week uh, we will have uh, Carver Gaten, Toshiko Hasegawa, hopefully Dr. Hart, uh, Dr. Ross Flowers, who's a student body president in the 80s, also was uh, the city and state champion in the high hurdles, and also Dick Lee, our consultant from Ballard. So anyway, I want to thank you all very much. Uh, Eric, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this. So let me hang on. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. 
As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Right, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest. I want to give a shout out and thank Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Diversity, and Inclusion, headed up by John T. Robinson, Port of Seattle's Diversity uh, Contracting Office, with uh, me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, Josie Regan, and their illustrious executive director, uh, Steve Metruck, and Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier. Uh, now we will go to uh, the June, uh, the August 28th uh, of this year. It marks 59 years since uh, the August 28th, 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And here to discuss how much has changed in 59 years is retired, outstanding world-class attorney, Lem Howell, who's been before the Supreme Court several times, uh, Claude Perfect, who is the first vice president of uh, the Seattle King County NAACP, and both Lem and Claude attended the 1963 March on Washington. And then we have Hayward Evans, co-convener of the Martin Luther King Jr. Commemoration Committee, that is one of, as a sponsor of the event that will be taking place on August 28th, 2022 at Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Civil Rights Park. Uh, so uh, let's start out with Hayward. And Hayward, why don't you give us an idea, how many years has this uh, been uh, convened by the MLKCC, Martin Luther King Jr. Commemoration Committee, but we would say MLKCC. How many years has that been? Uh, and just to give our listeners a little bit of background, who some of the past participants have been, and we'll wait to next week to talk about who all of the awardees will be. So go right ahead, Hayward. Thank you for having us. This is the uh, fourth year that we've uh, that we've had this as now a community-based annual event that's focused on on the legacy and contributions of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But also, just like when you just had Elmer and the other uh, people on the Centennial co- uh, Committee for Garfield, it goes back to them too. We're talking about remembering all those people locally two that have sacrificed and put in the time and energy in the civil rights movement, the movement for what now they call it, diversity, inclusion, and justice. Okay, everything over this, this is the 59th anniversary of the march. And everybody, all the listenership, think about it, 59 years, how far have we come as a people? We look at January uh, or 6th, the, the insurrection. We look at the Supreme Court and what they've just done you know, removing a woman's right to choose. So many things are going on now that, that's been a step back. And that's why it's so important that um, on Sunday, August 28th, 2.30, everybody, everybody in our community, I think should be out there. And this is just not for one particular issue. Usually we're issue specific, but let's take that entire agenda 
from the 68 or 63 March on Washington. You could, you could put that agenda together right now and it's still significant to this very day. And it's time for us to progress. And that's why it's time for us to be out there on that date. Uh, Eddie, like last year, we did voter suppression. I mean, let's look at what's going on around the nation and the number of people who were Trump supporters who won their party nomination. What is going on in our nation? And if we don't come together, and if we don't talk about issues, then we're going to run into these same problems. And that's why we're looking at the theme this year. The theme this year, the 59th anniversary of the March on Washington, is equity issues in a just society. What are the issues out there that are, that are making our society unjust? We know about racial justice. We know about poverty. We know about homelessness. What, what are the solutions, though, to homelessness? What are the solutions to gun violence? What is the solution for us to get women's right to choose back? Because for me, that's a critical agenda item. I have a daughter. What if she has children? I have grandchildren that are girls. They should have every right to choose what they're going to do with their body to me. And so I'm looking forward to this event. I'm encouraging everyone to be out there. It's going to be in Martin Luther King Jr. Civil Rights Memorial Park, right there on Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Seattle. A lot of y'all have been there. And I got to give a, a shout out and salute to the Seattle Parks Department, Seattle Parks and Recreation. They have done an excellent job now in, in getting the fountain working again, putting in new lights. Uh, they came out and cleaned the park up and, and they've been they've been developing a conscientious effort. And so one of the issues that I'm going to bring up when we have the um, when we have this uh, uh, this rally in the park on August 28th, that Sunday, 2.30, is to establish the Friends of Martin Luther King Jr. Civil Rights Memorial Park. It's our responsibility to take that park, take ownership, and make that park that much more functional for future generations. I'm talking about from an educational perspective and a recreational perspective. And people that are, that are becoming seniors, people that have passed away like Jerry Wares, there, there should be something there that we remember the history of the people locally who, who who Martin Luther King stood on their shoulders. Yeah, it, it was give and take. But Martin Luther King was pushed up to that leadership because of his relationship with people, with a lot of the people who came right out of the Seattle area, like Reverend McKinney, Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney. These people need to be remembered, in my opinion. Okay, Hayward. Uh, now I'd like to go to Claude, who also is in the fighting in the vineyards every day as first vice president of Seattle King County branch of the NAACP and also with the King County uh, uh, Labor Committee as well. Uh, so Claude, why don't you uh, give us a little few reflections about uh, your actual uh, participation and being at the March, uh, August 28, 1963. Okay, Andy, <laughs> you know, uh, when we look at jobs and freedom back in 1963 that uh, we were fighting for. I see the same problem today that we were fighting for since 1963. Um, but to give you a little background on why I got involved is um, back in 1957, I heard a speech at Dillard University in New Orleans by Roy Wilkins. He was president of the uh, NAACP, and uh, he gave that speech, and I was so uh, amazed by that speech. I became a member of, in 1956, a member of the uh, NAACP. Back in 1959, James Farmer came to New Orleans and, uh, and he was the president of CORE, Congress of Racial Equality. And I became affiliated and a part of CORE and CORE and uh, SNCC, uh, Student of Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, teamed up. And what we did back then, we did a lot of sit-ins. Uh, we sat in on the Woolworths, the McCrory's, uh, because if our mothers uh, could shop at Woolworths, but they couldn't eat at the counters, we felt that that was really 
something that, I, you know, it, it was unheard. You know, I mean, we then saw the true discrimination because our mothers are saying that we can shop, but we can't eat. And we want to be able to be a part of. So we demonstrated. We, Cora uh, uh, and Snick, did a lot of demonstration during that time. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I met John Lewis, but he wasn't congressman at that time. He was a student at Fisk University, and I was a student. Uh, uh, I was still in high school, but uh, we we did a lot of demonstrations. So we decided, my church, Dr. Reverend uh, Joe Vaughn and my uncle, Percy Murphy Griffin of St. John's Church, and uh, Dr. Vaughn was of uh, St. Mark's Missionary Baptist Church. We, they got together and decided that we wanted to be a part of the March on Washington. Uh, we then uh, got together with the two churches, uh, St. John Missionary, I mean, St. John Baptist Church out in Plaquemine Parish, where Leander Perez, the most racist person in the state of Louisiana, fought or desegregation and all. But we got together and they sent eight uh, church members from St. John and St. Mark's out of New Orleans, sent 10. So we had 18 folks. Uh, Journey into well, 18 church members plus Percy and Reverend Vaughn. Uh, and we had a driver that journeyed to uh Washington, DC. As a matter of fact, we did that in the yellow school bus. So, uh, but what I didn't realize at that time, and it, uh, we needed at that time what was called a green book because traveling through the south, you had to know exactly where you were going. Uh, you couldn't travel at night. You had to know what restaurants you could eat at. You had to know the gas station that you can uh, uh, pump gas. Uh, there was a lot of things uh, that that Green Book would tell you to make that journey a safe journey from the South. And trust me, you could not drive or travel at nighttime in the South, not as a Black group. So we finally made it to Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, man, it was absolutely astonishing. I have never seen so many people that, well, I guess I did at one time because New Orleans had the Mardi Gras, but I have never seen so many people in a march in my life. Uh, it was great. There were... Uh, uh, folks that I had never seen, but I did meet at that uh, march. I knew, uh, uh, I met uh, Whitney Young, who was over the uh, Urban League. Yeah. I met James Farmer. Well, I knew James Farmer because he recruited me. Uh, also, John Lewis. Uh, I want to I get uh, Lim Howell in before we run out, run out of time. Lim was also there. We'll double back to you to hear the rest of the story. Uh, so, Lim, how I want you to go right ahead and share with our listeners your experience and what motivated you to go to the 63 March on Washington. Yeah, that was fascinating listening to Claude. Uh, except Farmer wasn't there, Claude, because he was in jail. McKissick spoke yes. for him. Yes. yes. But he was behind the march. He was part of yes. the march. Behind the march, right. Right. Okay. Let me say this. I was a law student at NYU Law School working for the Securities and Exchange Commission for the summer. And I didn't want to tell them I was going on the march. I was afraid they'd fire me or so forth. So I didn't tell them. I just went uh, with the, a bunch of social workers who had rented a bus to drive down from New York City to the march. So we had to meet 4 or 4.30 in the morning to drive down to the march from New York. My brother, who was a cop, was a guardian and was one of the uh, marshals that they had gotten. The cops in New York City were a member of the guardian group. Let me say this. The theme of the march was jobs and freedom. Jobs and freedom. 
that was the whole theme and the, the, the stuff that was requested afterwards by A. Philip Randolph had the list of our demands. Let me say that at that time, we have to remember what uh, uh, the country was like at that time. Of course, in 54, we got the uh, ruling from the Supreme Court in Brown versus Board of Education about separate uh, but equal is not in fact equal. But at that time, 21 states had laws prohibiting interracial marriage. All right. We had and uh, Jim Crow laws rampant in the South. It was the Kennedy administration that started with the civil rights bill that LBJ pushed that became law in 1964. Folks, don't remember what LBJ did for us. He did more for us than any president since Lincoln. We got the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. We had Medicare and, Medic uh, uh, Medicare and Medicaid from Johnson. We got a whole lot of stuff in the great society under Johnson that I don't think we appreciate. And Eddie, you ask how far we've come. Just the other day, 11 white jurors and one black jurors convicted three white men of murdering a black man in Southern Georgia. I don't care what you say, brother. When we think of the lynchings that used to go on before that and so forth, that is progress. Not as much as there should be. Sometimes we take two steps forward and we take one step backward. That's what happened with the Supreme Court ruling when they threw out a part of the Voting Rights Act of 1964 and or 65. And what cuts me to the quick is, and I hate to call him a brother, but Clarence Thomas voted to do that. Can you imagine a black man doing that? Yes, ma'am, uh, I can. Uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Tom asked. Oh, I, I, you know, it, it really pains me that a black man, even Tim Scott from South Carolina, voted against the best qualified member of the court, except for probably Robert, Justice Jackson, that he voted. Tim Scott voted. His ancestors must be turning over in their grave. And his friends, if he has any black friends and his, and his kin, must be wondering, how can a black man do this to a sister? Only but a Negro can. No, you got to well, correct that but, grammar. But, Only a Negro yeah, can. But what I'm saying to you is that we've had major progress as a result of the march in Washington. We had six black leaders. A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin were the organizers of the march. And in fact, they had done it back in the 1940s, had promised to march on Washington if FDR didn't do something about uh, the uh, Defense Department uh, with their contracts and discrimination of blacks. That's where we got the first FEPC. And when uh, 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 FDR couldn't stand a march of blacks on Washington, so that's how that that came about thanks to A. Philip Randolph. A lot of people don't realize how great that man was for our progress. And so there has been progress today, but it disturbs me when the Voting Rights Act that was sponsored uh, uh, by our friend John, John Lewis cannot be passed by the Congress Cannot be. It was passed in the House, but wasn't passed in the Senate because they wouldn't vote to, uh, you know, exclude it from the uh, filibuster. Okay, now, well, we're just about out of time. I need to go back to Hayward to have an update on. Uh, we'll be on for the next three weeks, and also Lem Howell has agreed to be one of the speakers at uh, the 59th uh, commemoration or anniversary. There's a 63 march on Washington. Although here, I've been telling people five o'clock, so I'm glad you corrected me. Uh, so anyway, why don't we go ahead and uh, here with any updates you can give? Where can people find the information? And uh, I, I know that we're updating the website now, but the information yeah. is going to be in the Facts newspaper next week. We're going to we have ads on uh, uh, KRIZ radio coming out. Also going to be in the Medium newspaper on Chris Bennett Jr.'s radio show. 
No, he's not. Chris ain't now Chris B. Bennett. He's I, not I, a junior. Chris B. Bennett. Just like me and my son. But yeah. Chris uh, H. Bennett is a daddy. Chris B. is a son. <laughs> Amen. But we're going to be looking. We're seriously going to be reaching out hard in the community. And for the people who are listening to listenership, listen to what Claude and, and, and Lim were, were saying. Lim was saying, you know, the Voting Rights Act now being under attack. John Lewis didn't get through. We have people there who who we classify as Black, Negro, African-American, but some of them, eh, the Scots and the Senate and and, uh, and Thomas, Thomas the Uncle Tom Brown, bless his heart. These are people we have to deal with, but in that same vein, it's up to us as private citizens to be out there and get engaged. Life is not a spectator sport. Lynn knows in politics, if you're not there, they're not going to do a darn thing for you. And now it's time to stand up more than ever. You know, they were talking about what went on in, in 68 and the early 60s. Let's look at just even recently here in the state of Washington, Eddie, the I-1000. How can we lose $3 billion worth of potential income? And you look at the financial undulation to support business. So it goes right back to jobs. And it goes back to our freedom, especially when they talk about our voting rights. Yeah. And 23 years of no affirmative action brought to you by Governor Gary Locke with his, his uh, Governor's Directive 98-01. All the while, people were blaming I-200, the misapplication of, of initiative uh, uh, I-200. But anyway. Um, but it's uh, freedom and jobs, just like Lynn was saying. Look, we exactly. were there in D.C. for freedom and jobs. It's the same issue right now, as Claude pointed out. Same issues. But if we don't come together, if everybody's going to be siloed, it's just going to erode our power. And so I'm saying on Sunday, the 28th, August 28th, be in Martin Luther King Park at 2.30, and you will love the, uh, the main speaker, Lim Howe, he's, he's absolutely fantastic when it comes from a historical perspective to get your facts in line. Okay, the other person, we have a, uh, uh, we have, well, we'll talk about the awardees later. We want to congratulate Claude Burphy for, uh, he has been notified. Uh, also, uh, Tisha Marie, legally black out of Tacoma Pierce County has been notified. And Bishop Zachary Bruce has been notified. They'll get their letters a little later. So, uh, uh, we uh, continue to recognize folks who make contributions. Uh, uh, two people uh, that we had recommended, the committee had recommended to be honored, did not respond. So we're going to just hold that for another week in case they do decide to respond because we want to overlook anyone who's making go. significant contributions uh, uh, to the Black community. So I want to thank Clyde Burfick, uh, Lim Howell. They both attended... Uh, uh, they both attended the, 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 the march on Washington in 1963. Hey, you'll be on again next week. Claude, we got to go to, got to take a break. You got one minute, one minute. Uh, can I just say this? Uh, yeah, you got to uh, do it in the middle. Lim Howell uh, made, a, made a statement about Medicare and Medicaid that uh, President Johnson was responsible for. But do you know that there is what is called an ACO REACH? That will shut Medicare and Medicaid down if we vote, if Congress vote in favor of, we will lose our Medicare, Medicaid. And uh, we have a meeting coming up on the 23rd of September with Congresswoman uh, Marilyn Strickland to okay. discuss this. Claude, we are out of time. We, we can make that announcement next week. You got until the 23rd. Uh, Eric, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being on. Eric, let's take the break and so we can uh, zoom out. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? 
it's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest uh, checking out. Just want to thank a few people. Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, uh, Diversity and Inclusion, headed up by John T. Robinson and my friend Kent Keel is the chair of the Sound Transit Board. The Port of Sales University Contracting Office with Mian Rice, and he's assisted by Lawrence Coleman and Josie Regan, and the Executive Director is Steve Metric. Uh, we will also have a Port Commissioner uh, on next week, and that's Toshiko Hasegawa. She will be talking about the MLK uh, event, as well as uh, she is a graduate of Garfield High School, so we'll definitely have her talking about that as well. Then the Seattle, City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office is uh, headed up by Liz Alzir, and we do appreciate that. So, uh, Hayward, once again, we're talking about uh, the 59th anniversary of of, uh, the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom will be uh, August 28th, the same date as it was in 1963. And unfortunately, we seem to be talking about some of the same issues. Uh, Voter suppression is in play. Uh, refusal to, to pass the John Lewis Voting Act. Uh, equity issues uh, are interpreted by some as being a giveaway. Now, for people that's been here 400 years, and my daughter Angela says they built this joint for free, what do you expect? And what really galls me more than anything is to hear people who haven't been here two or three years to make derogatory remarks about black folks. That's right. Unacceptable. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank and we'll be in touch with you again next week at the same time for another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. At 5 o'clock, you can get Urban Forum, today's program on Alexa, my podcast. Thanks, Eric. We'll see you next week. Thank you.